This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Pod. I'm your host Mike, in due to squad rotation in place of Hambo, and I'm joined by a fine panel to discuss Palace's convincing win over Doncaster, a game which saw both teams find themselves on peak time BBC TV. I'm joined by comrade Chris Clark, Mick Gillard and Patrick O'Connor as we analyse the game and answer your questions about the performance. We'll be back after this. Back of the Nest Match Preview Podcast. Hello ladies and gentlemen, Terence here from the Preview Podcast and I just want to take up a moment of your time to say that from Wednesday this week, tune in to the Preview Podcast where we will be previewing our trip to Leicester City and we will also be joined by a special guest, Ben Bailey-Smith, otherwise known as Doc Brown. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Book Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, well, I get to uh, I get to host a, another winning pod, which is which is nice, uh, a, a decent two 0 win over Doncaster. I didn't ever seem in doubt, so uh, hopefully we should give you an upbeat one today. Uh, a couple of things to mention before we start. Um, again, we're probably drumming this in, and sorry to bore you all, but people that have given us a nice review on iTunes and other podcast platforms have been very kind. Help things spread a lot recently, so if you're feeling charitable, please go on iTunes, give us a lovely five-star review. Um, the stars count, so give us five, even if you don't think we're worth that. That would be excellent. Uh, other than that, there's no marathon marches or anything going on right now, um, so we'll get straight into it. Um, let's talk about the atmosphere at the ground. Uh, Chris, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad, comrade. You? Uh, I'm I'm good. Um, it's it sounded like you weren't doing too great yesterday when you thought you might miss the start of the game. Yeah, considering we left Croydon at half past ten in the morning, um, aiming for an eleven fifteen train off Kings Cross that was cancelled, as were the eleven fifty three and the eleven fifty eight, during which time we were stood on 
uh, the train on platform five, sent round to platform two, then told, no, um, that's not running. There's not going to be anything here for hours. Go over to St Pancras. You can get a train to Sheffield from there. Um, and then actually, oh, no, that won't get you until half five, so you'll miss the game anyway. At which point we nearly gave up. We just walked back to King's Cross, went up to a nice pub upstairs in there and watched as the screen then said that the 115 would run, which we ran down and got on board and got to the game just in time to have a pint before the game. So it had a happy ending, but it was a stressful time. Um, and yeah, I mean, moving on to what you were saying before, the atmosphere, that was smoking in there. Um, you know, I mean, you, you obviously saw Liam and the ultras in their ski masks. Um, and, you know, they were banging their drum all day long. You know, there were there were lots of us turning around and leading others in singing as well. It It was really, really banging and great fun. I'm really glad I went. Okay, um, Patrick, how did you think it sounded from uh, from on the TV over in America? And how are you doing after your big birthday? Well, thanks for the birthday wishes. Appreciate it. Um, it sounded really good. I have to say, um, lucky over here, we get a lot of coverage of football over here. And um, a channel over here called ESPN Plus covers all the FA Cup games. So every game is on TV. So it came across really, really uh, well. They did a great job of focusing on uh, the supporters throughout the match. And they actually gave, and I'm going to ask Chris this real quickly, they gave a couple of really great overhead views of the keep moat. And just looking at it, it looks like a beautiful little stadium. I want to kind of get Chris's thoughts on it. Because again, on TV, uh, great little atmosphere, great. It really looked good on TV and the stadium was really nice. But So how is it like in person, Chris? Much nicer than almost any Premier League ground I've been to in recent times, frankly. Um, it generated a decent atmosphere and, you know, I mean, it just looked really nice, like a proper football stadium. It wasn't one of those kind of modern bowls. It's still out on an industrial state in the middle of nowhere, of course, as all football grounds are nowadays, with the exception of Selhurst, perhaps. But, um, you know, I mean, and I have to say, I mean, the, the fans were pretty friendly as we were walking down. The stewards were nice in terms of directing us the right direction. It was just a really nice day out in the end. Excellent. Uh, and, and Nick, have you come over your uh, problems there? Can you? Are you? Are you yeah, to... yeah. The computer decided to shut off the mic in the sounds application rather than the usual mute button here. So sorry if I was uh, chatting away again. They're not responding. They're not responding. What's going on? You see what yeah. you're what you're doing here is your sort of adding to the stereotype that the older gentleman can't use a computer very well. Um, and I'm sure that's not the case, really, is it? I'm a, I've turned 50. It's just going to get worse, mate. Yeah. It's how how you been? Worse. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's half term, so I'm knee deep in decorating, which, you know, you always get a list for half term. But other than that, yeah, Palace, Palace are keeping me happy. Um, it, it's not been a bad few weeks, has it? Yeah, good, good. That's what we like to hear. Um yeah, so if we, if we talk a little bit about the atmosphere at the ground, uh, Kevin got in touch and he said if they, if he'd known the support was going to be that vocal, he'd have made an effort to go. And how much do you think it influenced the result and the performance? Um, uh, that's an interesting point. I mean, first of all, I would say that the atmosphere is only going to get good if people do go. Um, so, you know, that, make sure you do go next time, Kevin. Um, but yeah. I've not been to a Palace game where the atmosphere has been poor away from home in a pretty long time, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, advice, Kevin, just come along and be part of it because it is great fun away. It's You don't have the moaners that we get at home. So, yeah, come along, be part of it. And I'd like to add that uh, clearly the atmosphere made a difference because uh, Hodgson made a point of um, mentioning it post-match. So did Luca, And I've uh, seen several players on social media, Joe Ward in particular, who mentioned the 
the, the atmosphere in the crowd. So I think it's fantastic that the players and the manager notice it, and I think it does help lift the players, and it's created an atmosphere. I think it's been really great, especially considering how poor it was beginning of the year when um, the Ultras weren't, you know, uh, in the in the homes down and it was kind of poor at the beginning of the year. So it's great that everybody's gotten on board and, you know, done so well in your way matches this year. I think the downside is that there was a bit of negativity from probably people of totally outside the club, um, you know, saying, oh, you you only get that kind of atmosphere from the drum. Well, that's that's entirely not true. I mean, if, they, if they'd seen more than the odd match of the day highlights of us, like Chris said, any away game this season, even defeats, uh, Bournemouth or whatever, you know, we made... We made more noise in the home crowd a lot of the time, with or without a drum. So that that's that's rubbish. And I saw that FYP had gone gone off on one on Twitter. They got very uh, very triggered by that, um, which you can kind of understand. So do you think that? Because um, I I was expecting I've got to say I was expecting the Doncaster fans from what I'd heard to be uh, a bit more vocal than they were. Perhaps um, do do you think? Uh, it made a, a big difference to the performance or do, do you think it was just the sort of the atmosphere of the cup? I, honestly, I, th- I think the early goal um, killed what atmosphere there would have been from them. They seemed very flat after that. Um, I mean, I didn't even seem to be particularly giving it a go before. before, um, And there were a couple of moments where they got a song going, but it was you know probably 20 minutes in and we applauded them when they did. Um, so it, it was just one of those classic you know, home team not as good. My my message to um, you know that fans of other clubs who say that it's because we've got a drum is well get a drum then. If you, if you really think that a drum alone is going to generate that atmosphere, actually what you need is fanatical fans who write their own songs, put effort into creating that atmosphere. I mean you you've seen it up close. You know the work that goes in in terms of whipping people into a frenzy at somewhere like the Holmesdale pub before walking down to the ground. It's it's teamwork, it's preparation, it's effort. That's what generates that, not just a good performance. And I've got to say, as a musician and as somebody that's seen someone with a bad drumming technique, it's not just the drum. You've got to be damn good at playing that drum as well. Um, so let's let's get on to, uh, we put a man of the match poll up um, and uh, we went for Luca, Schlupp, Dan and uh, who was the other one? Uh, somebody help me out. Max, I hope. No? Max, yeah, of course it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, Luca convincingly won with 60% of the vote. Um, Dan got 3%, which I was a, a little bit shocked by. We'll get we'll get to him a bit later. But if we start with Luca, um, he got high praise from most quarters. Um, if we go with Mr. Cadbury's power, you know, a fixture, a fixture around these parts. Um, sorry, no, let's start with Vince Flynn. He said that Luca was magnificent yesterday, dominated the game. He, he certainly did. Uh, I thought he was given a lot of space and I think when teams are a little bit slower and a, li- a little bit more standoffish this season, he has he-, he has tended to dominate a little bit more. Uh, but what do you think it was about yesterday's performance that he, he stood out so much? You know, t- two-thirds of people saying he was man of the match. I liked um, his passing uh, yesterday. I've been critical of uh, Lucas passing in the uh, previously because I, thought, I think he's kind of dropped off. But yesterday, 59 accurate passes, 88% pass success rate created six chances um five key passes uh 96 touches he was all over the place he tackled he was uh, again great ball he played um to uh andros for the header that created uh, max's goal he was all over the place yeah i think believing believe he's also actually beginning at the uh the schlup 
a goal. He was just all over the place, and he hasn't really featured in the FA Cup, which uh, which has been fine. We're trying to you know rotate our squad, but I feel that he's really a, a key player. And again, I was concerned about his passing yesterday. He was really all over the place and played a really great overall game. As, well as I'm concerned. Yeah, and he, um, as Patrick said, he bossed the midfield, but he he slid in, got the ball, I think, for Schlupp's goal. Um, saw um, Van Arnholt, played it in, got it back, but it was the fact he'd gone down and got up so quickly again to set up Schlupp for that goal. And the, the pass to Townsend was so exquisite, wasn't it, to, to make the second goal. It was just um, unbelievable. Really happy. Is he, um, he seems to be, well, maybe it's just this weekend, but is he making more of a media kind of thing for himself? Because I know he's now captain, but he's seems to be speaking a lot more on telly and radio in the last few days. As he should. He's a charismatic man. And that accent, <laughs> it makes, makes you tingle, doesn't it? Um, if we get on to, to, to Mr. Cadbury Parrott's uh, comment, he, he, he talked about the corners and the free kicks, which is something that we've discussed the last couple of pods. Uh, and he's asked Max or Luca on corners and free kicks, and maybe a bit of both. And I know I was saying the other week that um, you know I was a bit disappointed with some of his slow floatier balls in, um, and I was hoping that maybe he could mix them up with Andros and, and with Max, uh, at least maybe him taking them from only one side. But the um, the sort of looping balls in seem to really work. I mean, I, d- I don't know to what extent you know, two leagues worth of difference makes. But uh, it seemed he seemed like a different different player. You know, he wasn't like he was doing something vastly different. Um, but it, it seemed like the, the balls were more effective. What was that? Was that different personnel in the team? I mean, Dan helped? Or, or was it more just the fact that against the League One team, they may be less used to really quality corners? Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth there about Dan. I think knowing you've got a presence in the box that can actually head of the blooming thing probably helps with your delivery, doesn't it? You know, he's got better targets to aim for. And I love the way that Dan was hiding behind other players in the wall uh, or sort of in the mix in the box um, to try and get things going in there. But yeah, the deliveries were, were a lot better because um, we've seen a lot fall short in recent matches, haven't we? It was kind of a mini love train, wasn't it? Like the the England love train from last summer with three of them, you know, doing doing a proper three <laughs> man love train. Just a little, a little, little two man, a little bit man on man love. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's a bit worrying now. If if the difference is Scott Dan, um, you know, he's he's not taller than Menteke. He's not tall. Yeah, we've we've got tall players, um, but we've got Sacco who seems to be able to steal defeat from the jaws of victory every time the ball goes near his head. Um, is it is it that we need someone that's just a better target man? Is Tompkins taking on too much? And, you know, he's not the tallest guy in the world. I know I say that about everyone, but um, he's not the tallest guy in the world. So is it is it the fact that we do need to work on those target moves a bit more? What do you reckon, Chris? I think what you said um, a short while ago is the point about mixing it up. Um, I mean, a lot of the time, one of the big problems actually has been for me that Lucas Corners have been a little bit like Kabai's towards the end of his time with us, where half the time they don't clear the the defender who's covering. Um, And that's incredibly frustrating when that's the case. Um, But mixing it up, sending it to the the back post, sending it to the near post, and having someone else to aim at will help. We haven't really seen the best of Batshuayi yet on that because we haven't really tested playing. You're frankly giving him enough time to actually 
you know build an affinity with our wingers and with people playing the ball in from set pieces. So that's one. Wickham obviously definitely has potential to do that, but they they need some time on the training ground to work together and work out those routines, mixing it up, having Maya playing some of them as well. Maybe even as you mentioned earlier on Townsend. Those are those are the things you just want to have options so that it's not incredibly predictable. Because I could tell you in advance most of the time what we're going to do and how it will get cleared and who by. Yeah, I can't I can't disagree with that. I think we've uh, we've managed to go a bit depressing already, haven't we? For for a two nil for a two nil <laughs> win, but uh, we seem to be very good at that. Um, let's talk a little bit about the stats. I mean, when you get. Premier League games, you can pour over stats for hours and hours and hours. The FA Cup games, there's less of these stat sites giving you info, but I think the basic stats sort of speak a fair amount of volumes. Um, interestingly, Doncaster had more shots, um, 19 against 12. More on target, they had five, we had four. Nearly as many passes, we had 491, they had 436. Possession was pretty much equal, 53 for us. And they had an absolute ton of corners. Um, so in a way, um, you could say that it was, it set pieces probably should have dominated the game a little bit more. Um, it's surprising that out of 18 corners, there was only two goals in the game, really. Well, it was quite an even game. Uh, has that has to be said actually and um considering that we were playing lower league opposition and that you know we're supposed to be an established premier league team you know you might look at that and think well you only beat them 2-0 on the other hand you know i have to say i didn't feel that there was much doubt about the outcome of that game certainly from the moment that jeffrey schlupp's goal had gone in and probably before that either i just felt comfortable throughout with the exception of being whenever the ball came anywhere near Wayne Hennessy where there is of course um, that crunch in your belly every time anyone passes the ball back or anything um, but I, I thought we looked solid and that that really was the difference was you know we were organised we knew what we were doing yes they had more possession but that was our game plan with the away team and, you know, yeah, you, you can try and play your way around a Team Man City style or you can organise and do it, you know, the kind of Pulis way. And this was a bit more like that. It might be against lower league opposition, but at the end of the day, it worked and we're through to the next round. And I'm happy with that. Yeah, it's got to be remembered that Doncaster are a pretty good team. And I actually enjoyed watching them play yesterday. Um, to think they're League One level, they, they weren't afraid of us. They didn't change their game at all. Um all right, we didn't really have to get out of gear too much, but we we did well um, to 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 win it. It could have it could have gone the other way, but the, with regards to the stats, half the corners, I I thought that um, our defence had had a sort of a bet on how many of the corners there'd be in the first and second half because it was just useless the way we yeah. under just that tiny tiny bit of pressure that they were you know making silly errors. I'd like to add that with the stats. I have to admit, uh, Mike, and I have those same stats in front of me, that I'm surprised we had more possession because the way that the game kind of looked on TV, it looked to me as that Doncaster really did dominate possession. So I want to go to how we're playing now. I've noticed that whether home or away, we are definitely ceding more possession to the other side in order for us to kind of play the way we want to play. Um, we're a counterattacking team. Funny, we only had one counterattack yesterday, the goal that led the goal of Schlupp scored. Uh, they had no uh, counterattacks. And I think that I had to give uh, Hodgson credit. I think allowing other teams to kind of 
get on us and and then relying on the way we play better, which is again more counterattacking style. You can have the possession, we'll create chances off of that when we can and score. I think we're actually playing better. I was very frustrated beginning of the year. Uh, dominating possession against certain sides and, and not scoring and or not winning. And I think that, again, over the last, I would say, four or five matches, we've, by the home away, we've definitely changed our style. I think it's definitely changed for the better. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. I, I've always, probably since the Pulis era, um, I've always been a bit dubious if we have more than about 30% possession because it seems to me that it is more, we're more likely to lose. Um, but it sort of brings us on to, you know, there was some some... Decent criticism, you know, not not massive criticism, but people saying, you know, the second half was a bit limp. Um, you know, we let them have the ball a bit too much, but um, it didn't seem to me as though it ever particularly seems, apart from a period of about five minutes where they were going to get one back. Um, and I think one of the reasons that they did end up with less than half possession, because like you say, it seemed like they had more, um, was they seemed to get very jumpy, um, you know, and shoot from outrageous distances and end moves earlier than perhaps they should have done. Um, and we ended up with the, the ball a fair amount in sort of between back of midfield and defence, sort of passing the ball around to knacker them out. Um, so I thought it was fairly decent game management, really. Um, you're already 2-0 up by half-time. Uh, there's no real need to go pushing for that third, fourth. Uh, they, it, it never looked like it was going to be in any doubt whatsoever. So... Although we had less shots, but how many of them really looked like they were going to go in from them? You know, there was a few into Hennessy's hands, not not a great deal of anything else. So um, I think if they'd wanted to sort of push it up another gear, um, we probably would have ended up dominating the second half as well. But no need to be knuckering players out and making unnecessary mistakes and that kind of thing. Um, so I just thought it was a little bit unfair to expect that they could keep the, the kind of pace that they had in the in the in the first half up in the second. Now, what did you think about that, uh, Nick? It's um, yeah, it was it was just really really comfortable, wasn't it? I you, I don't think you'd play the ball around that deep, um, hoping to get a counter attack. Perhaps if if they're giving the ball away in that in that little gap that you you talked about, um, you wouldn't do that against Chelsea, would you? Um, so it's a little bit worrying. And the other thing was we didn't have um. Sacco in there to make his one or two errors in a game. But we gave the ball away a few times, which could have led to problems if it was a better team. We we were a bit too cocksure, I thought. And to add to that about just playing and possessing the ball, is anyone else concerned about... It seemed to me as if it was like our game plan, whenever Kelly or Dan had the ball, was to purposely pay back to Hennessy. And unless the ball went to Maya, who always looked to go forward, which I love about where he plays, but if it went to either the fullbacks or the centre-half, they always went back to uh, Hennessy. And he put a lot of pressure on us, I thought, unnecessarily. I mean, I was obviously at one time when the ball bobbled off of Hennessy and went off for a, a corner kick. But I just, I, I don't, I, I always seem to see when, we play, when Hennessy's back there, that is always the default fullback. Let's kick it back to Hennessy and he'll clear it. And I, and I wish you'd look, be a little bit more forward-thinking, especially with Meyer in a game, because a player like Meyer, and again, I've mentioned for Schlupp, when he gets the ball, he'll drive forward. I think we're better on the front foot from that when we have the ball, obviously, as opposed to, you know, always looking in the back four, looking to play ball back 20, 30 yards to a goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, what I would say about that is um, Martin Kelly, Joe Wards are not footballing footballers. I mean, that's a ridiculous comment in that they're paid a fortune. They clearly are very, very good footballers. But, you know, we're used to week in, week out, seeing Sacco and um, Aaron Wambasaka, who are 
very, very gifted players. So to an extent, you know, they're keen to not make a mistake on the few chances that they do get to play. So I can kind of understand it. Um, but what I can't understand is why they'd put Hennessy under that kind of pressure when they knew that the the striker the, the, who had... Let's, let's just take a minute to mention his haircut. Um, for, a, for a start, the, um, the man bun has very much gone out of fashion and I'm glad it has. But he kind of had a man bun and a kind of receding hairline at the same time and I found that very disconcerting. So I'm not surprised that Hennessy uh, saw him in his eyeline and got a bit scared. Um, but if we go on to... Uh, there's been a comment from uh, Heskiff of the uh, of the preview pod of this very parish, and he has asked why Wayne Hennessy cannot control a football even when he's under zero pressure. And obviously that's a bit tongue in cheek, but um, there was a few points when he was passed the ball back, and you just think, what the hell are you doing? Like like you mentioned about him having bets, he must have had a couple of bets on corners because. A couple he put out totally unnecessarily. And it can't have just been because they decided to pass back to him because he is a goalkeeper and that is one of about three things that he should be doing. So what do you think it was, Chris? Confidence, as usual. Um, I mean, he's such a frustrating player to watch because we all know that he has a really good save in him. And actually, um, the highlights reel that has um, come out since doesn't really show a real I thought it was a really good shot in the first half um now I mean it took place at the far end of the uh, stadium from where I was um stood singing at the time but it looked like a really fantastic reaction sh- save where he was going a different direction and then had to lift his arm up in order to stop the ball um I don't know if any of you remember that from live action but that's what he's good at. That's what he brings. The downside, of course, is, you know, I mean, his distribution, he gets a lot of distance on the ball, um, but it's it's mainly when the ball is played to him and the way that he just does not react in a way that inspires confidence. And you can see, I, I was mystified by the fact that they kept playing the ball backwards rather than going to the, the midfield, especially seeing as we were playing quite deep. You know, there were options to pass the ball forward and why they didn't take them... I cannot say, um, you know, and I think that hopefully is an indication of what will happen in league games that we won't be starting with that that you know defensive partnership because it's just while some people have said Dan is ready um, to start, not if he's playing like that. In my opinion, in terms of the distribution, now I'm sure that he was following instructions, but no, not for me. Well, we'll come on to Dan in in a minute. Um, I know Nick wanted to talk about. Uh, playing deep but just before that I do want to talk about that save um, you're talking about the one that kind of moved in the air and then he parried he parried down um, I presume, is that the one you're talking about uh, was it one handed or was it two hands Cause... the, the, the two handed one that uh, it was two hands okay. um, he, 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 parried, he parried one down and actually it was incredibly close to just falling to the uh, to the front man um, oh yeah Oh, there are some dreadful parries. I mean, but there always are. That's that's his weak point, isn't it? Um, but the one I'm thinking of, I think, was different. And I, maybe maybe I'm just misremembering it because, to be fair, it was at the far end of the pitch. But it looked a really good save to me. I mean, Patrick's the goalkeeping expert, um, so you know maybe he'll, he'll jump in and uh, confirm that I've remembered correctly or say that I'm hallucinating. Um, but talk about the one that, with the parrying because. Um, that was a usual Hennessy special, apart from the shuffle. Well, really. I mean, in, in fairness to him, the the ball did bobble in the air. Um, but I, I would have said to me that was 
probably the closest point they had to scoring because um, they, their front man, and forgive me, I can't remember which one it was that was there, um, he was he was totally unmarked on the edge of the six-yard box. And if it hadn't a parried like two foot right, to the right of him, you know, give, give the benefit of the doubt to Hennessy. He, he may well have planned that, but um, I can't imagine that he had the skill to push it that, to that exact angle. We were, we were, we were really lucky there. Um, Patrick, if... Sorry, Mike, you said the ball bobbled in the air in front of him. How does that happen? It, 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 sorry, it sort of moved in the air. Yeah, oh, right, was, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, no bobbling, sorry. Um, but Patrick, as the uh, as the resident goalkeeping expert, talk us through it. Yeah, um, I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to come across an expert. I would give Terence that, that moniker. But it's just, as, as Chris mentioned, it's just something that, that Hennessy seems to do. He seems to parry a lot of shots right back as opposed to the side. Don't know if that's coaching or if that's just the way he reacts. As I, again, I think one of his strengths actually is his reactions. He's much he doesn't like to think when he does things. He prefers to do things reactionary, which is why he'll make a, a, a some very decent um, you know saves from distance. But again, on that one, Mike, you are correct. The ball did, you know, it moved in the air. You know, that's why these balls nowadays do that. So. I can't blame him for that as much, but it just, again, he just seems to have that habit of parrying balls back into play. And as you rightly said, had he parried it another yard or so in the direction of the forward, I think it was Marquise, it might not have been Marquise, they would have scored. So I think something he has to work on. And um, again, I don't know if he's t- t- been taught that a long time ago or if that's just the way he is. But again, I mean, I, I, I have coach keepers obviously at youth level over here, and I always, I always teach them to parry the ball to the side. But again, I don't, it's, it's difficult for ball bobbles though to honestly say that he could have parried that one anywhere but where where he actually did it. Yeah, and I mean, we've had a fair amount of criticism for people saying they'll never listen to us again and stuff because we are on Hennessy's case. And I, you know, I say from the when Goethe conceded the penalty the other day, we probably didn't give it as much uh, discussion as this. So. I appreciate people that want to stick up for Wayne and, and somebody did say that he was their player of the match uh, on Twitter, which I was not in agreement with. But, you know, um, I, fair enough. There are there are people that thought he had a decent game and they probably know a lot more about goalkeeping than me. Um, so let's uh, let's talk a bit about defending deep, Nick, because I know this is a bit of a bee in your bonnet that you wanted to have a, have a discussion about. So um, what were you thinking? Yeah, I mean... But... As, as I said a little bit earlier, it's it's if you're going to play that way, you've got to be darn sure that you're not going to misplace passes. And um, I don't know what everybody's pass percentage was like. I I had it in my head that um, PVA made loads of uh, mispasses, but I saw some data earlier that says he didn't. I think it might have been Patrick. Um, so it's it's all down to perception. But we we get punished by a decent team if we if we're messing about in that part of the pitch. It's good if you're going to think, right, let's draw them forward and then we can break quickly. Um, but I don't know. Maybe we, maybe it was just because it was so comfortable for us yesterday that we were able to do it a bit more. But I wouldn't like to see it too often. To jump in, Nick, yeah, PVA's pass success rate yesterday was 91%. And that's off of 52 passes. Really? 50, yeah. So, I mean, he actually did pass. But I've, I've, I've been on him all season about how poor I, I think he's been passing the ball. But yesterday, he actually passed the ball very, very well. Well, I mean, I know that Hambo always has a rant about these stats. And I'd say from what I remember about PVA yesterday, a lot of it was passing square um, under under little pressure. So, I'm not that surprised. I think if I remember the stats you posted, Milivojevic had a success rate of 88 or something now his balls were 
his balls were you know much more menacing and I think that represents quite a bit more um, I didn't have a great deal of discussion for PVA in the show notes, but um, it's probably worth bringing him up because he's been at the centre of attention the last few games. What did people think of him? Um, what did you think, Chris? Well, he, he had obviously some key. I mean, he had a role in the in the second goal, didn't he? In that um, he it was him who broke forward um, and crossed the ball from the left across to for Townsend to head it back across the goal for uh, Maya to. Uh, head in so you know I mean I, I thought he had a good game he was mobile um, and, but then it wasn't it wasn't challenging opposition he wasn't under a huge amount of pressure so you know it would be very hard to extrapolate from that to say oh he's got his form back or anything like that and equally I mean I, I recall a couple of moments where someone like Joel Ward um, actually was starting to show um, you know little tricks like that I don't know if that was apparent on the telly the back heel um, that he had coming out of uh, defence, m- moving forward that into Sacco's midfield. That Sacco's got made him do um, that. He's, he's trying to be like Sacco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking maybe he was emulating Wamba Saka, trying to get his place <laughs> back. I don't know. Joel Ward <laughs> is trying to look like Wamba Saka and Sacco. Okay, that is <laughs> that is a sobering thought. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, yeah, I, I personally thought that PVA had another decent game. Um, I, without, as you say, without being tested that much, um, it meant that he, he was able to get forward a little bit. Um, he probably still didn't have the kind of um, earth-shattering impact that you, you know, he has had in the past. And you see, you know, he, he comes across as one of the players of the game. But I thought he was solid enough. Um, another player who I thought was solid enough, but has come in for some criticism. Uh, was Jordan Ayew, and there is a comment here uh, from, uh, apologies, uh, John Ferendo-Kumbo, and I'm not sure if that is your real name, John, but uh, if it is, kudos. How bad is Jordan Ayew really? Um, I thought he was all right yesterday, um, and I think he's been playing, the, you know, in the games that Wilf's not been playing, he's been covering fairly well. Um but uh, I, I realise that that is an opinion that is not is quite divisive. I thought he filled in for Wilf well, and his best performances have been when he's been played out on that to the left of the striker. Because we've got to remember that that's his position. Um, he went on a, uh, some good good runs, but made a couple of poor decisions, and that that's all that let him down. But it definitely had an impact on the game, and he definitely got involved. It's like I said, uh, he had a shot where he should have crossed it. Um, but then Bat Shuai did that a bit as well. So, you know, I, I think he filled him well. That's his best position. I agree with Nick. And, um, you know, it's easy to to, um, to get on Jordan Ayew, but a couple of things I'll, I'll note. He's not Wolf Zaha. So people looking for him or Townsend, looking for him to take on players. That's really not his strong suit. I've seen him in the past play. I think he's more of a 4-4-2 forward sitting behind the main striker. He can take on a player, but he's better suited to be, um, you know, kind of hanging outside the box, get shots off. Remember the goal he scored against us last year for Swansea. In addition, if you guys noticed yesterday, uh, Mike made a great stat about the amount of Doncaster Rovers' corners. Well, about 10 of those are cleared by Jordan Ayew. Watch the game again. He makes about five or six clearing headers. He works his socks off. So, statistically, he might have played great as far as assists or goal. But I thought yesterday he worked really hard. On that, on that, uh, you know, up front on that left side, I thought he uh, again his work rate was excellent. I think defensively played really, really well for us yesterday. Yeah, that's a good point. I, uh, the only thing I would say about that is that um, 
all of their corners didn't seem to hit the first only seemed to hit the first man and he was the first man um so yeah i I think it was a a bit of the fact that they were pretty terrible um so we've discussed dan a little bit already uh but james howard has asked whether dan's ready for regular first team places so i heard on our illustrious other podcast FYP uh, them say that he's still in a, a kind of training regime that isn't 100% so they can't see him <clears throat> uh, making his way back into the first team immediately um, and you, you've mentioned I can't remember which one of you it was that his uh, his passing was a little misplaced but I thought his defensive work especially his heading mastering the defence and then his threat um up for corners and set pieces was really impressive um, and I thought it negated the, the downsides to his game. Um, I don't know what the rest of you thought about that. Um, I, I think he, he was worthy to be put in the, the man of the match suggestions although I didn't think he should have won it but um, I, I was surprised. I, I was really impressed with him and there was a couple of balls in. You just knew he was going to be the head that, that got him out there and when he did head it out he, he tended to put it to safety, you know, a, a decent head on it. Um, I just thought he had a, a really, really solid game, and it's what you expect from uh, a defender that's essentially the second choice uh, centre back. I would agree. He's a solid player. He doesn't let you down, and he didn't let us down yesterday. He had a he had a decent game. Um, yeah, a few misplaced passes, as I, as I've said, and you know, I mean, I've, the thing is, I'm really clear that you know, for me, he's not our he's not in our top two centre backs now. Um, you know, clearly for me, you start Sacco and then you, um, on top of that, you obviously um, go with Tompkins. But Tompkins can get injured. This happens. Um, and then you've got Dan and Kelly. And for me, they're much of a muchness. Now, Kelly has risen in terms of his solidity. Um, he, he's demonstrated that he can form an effective partnership with you know the other centre-backs we've got. Dan can do that too if he's fit. So I'm not worried about that, but you know, for me, he's just nowhere near you know the standard of the other two in terms of the regular uh, partnership that they've already got. I mean, I look forward to someone disagreeing though, if there is. Well, I'm just going to play devil's advocate and say, you know, he's getting on; those grey hairs are starting to come through, and for a 31 year old man, um, it's a, quite a lot of grey hair, um, but. Will he want to? De- will he want to take that position going forward? Well, you know, he, he's a he's a really solid defender, and and I would have thought he'd have his eye on, you know, playing week in week out. So would he want to stay as a sort of as a backup in probably the fourth choice of of, of four? Because um, I'm not convinced he would. Although I do know he's he's on serious money, so you know it, it might be hard for someone else to want to pay that amount of money for him. But um, if I was him, I'd probably want more game time. Yeah, I'm a big Scott Dan fan, Mike, but like you, I think that the money that he's on and the opportunities uh, that he will have going forward, I'm sure he'll be gone next year um, because, again, he is fourth in the pecking order. I'd like to see Sam Woods, as an example, get a, a try as maybe the fourth centre-half next year. Um, and, again, I can see Dan going to a newly promoted side or maybe like a card if they stay up next year because he's not going to be necessarily, he's not, he's not a top 10 uh, cent half anymore, but he's definitely a guy who can do, do a job for you. So again, big fan of Scott Dan, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him leave next year. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, Parrish, Parrish is all about the money to to an extent. And he'll say that, leave it another season, you know, his value is going to drop down 
more and more. So I wouldn't surprise me to see him go, um, but that would be depressing because I, I, he really did impress yesterday. Well, it's the first time in ages that Evan, Everton haven't made a bid for him, in it? So um, I always thought he'd go there, there from us, being a scouse lad and all that. Yeah, I, you know, when you look at Silver, you don't really think, you, you know, when you're thinking of players that he would want, you know, his sort of dynamic, charismatic play, you don't really think Scott Dan, do you? Well, yeah, I suppose so. But he just seemed to be infernally linked to him for about four years on the chart, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. If he goes off to Everton, you can pick my lottery numbers uh, right. for the week after that happens. That would be, that would be excellent. Um, okay, so if we move on, uh, let's talk about a man who has been discussed plenty recently, and he keeps on delivering, Jeffrey Slup, and uh, Terence again of this very parish has asked a question now. You've got to brace yourself for this, gentlemen. Um, you've got to think on your feet because you probably haven't seen this yet. He's asked, has Jeffrey Schlupp's move into the middle solved the Ruben Loftus-Cheek solution? <laughs> now, um, first of all, tell me what he means by that or what you think he means and then tell me whether you think he has. Patrick? Um, I wouldn't compare Ruben Loftus-Cheek for obvious reasons, but I will say this. The way that Hodgson likes to play in that 4-3-3, Jeffrey Schlapp is probably the absolutely perfect per- player for him. And I'll give you the reasons why. It's it's his his ability to attack. He uh, He's decent in a tackle. He drives the ball forward. Uh, another perfect example was yesterday. He made a run from the halfway line and scored a really, really well-taken goal. If that was a will for Andros, we'd be going crazy about it. So... Again, Schlupp doesn't get like, as much credit as he, he probably should. And again, I'm not going to say I was a big fan of his being the season because I wasn't. I know uh, Chris was, and credit to him. But I've got to give him credit. Uh, he's really done a great job. And again, he's not in the room lost the cheek, but because we play a 4 foot 3 the way we like to play a little, little narrow inside, Schlupp really has, I mean, really has taken to that position. And to his credit, cause he, you know, he came up as a, as a forward and dropped back to left back, etc. So I've got to give him credit. And uh, the way that uh, Roy likes to play, Schlupp has really own that position and with Luca next to him and for me personally hopefully Max as a, as a third I think that could be a very effective uh, midfield three going forward you, you can tell he's been both attack and defence uh, because he, he made a couple of crucial ta- tackles yesterday I thought and his, his speed is, is faster than what we give him credit for I think he's a very adaptable player oh sorry sorry Mike yeah he's a very adaptable player and you know he can play in all those different positions he's got the speed he's got the shot um he's got the tackling ability he's also got a misplaced pass in him and that that's the the one thing that he probably needs to work on a little bit but i like i love the fact that he looks forward he plays forward and you know i mean you can see that he tries really really hard and the difference is that um you know compared to some other players we've got who try hard and it often doesn't come off more often than not it seems to at the moment and long may that continue well, I think that the word you've all used there is is forward, um, and maybe that does answer Terence's question because, uh, you know, we're all crying out for the sort of the runs, the purposeful runs that um, Ruben Loftus Cheek offered last season. So, um, you know, maybe he is the answer. Um, but I think it's interesting what Patrick brought up about him playing with Max in the three, um, because there's been plenty of discussion about whether uh, Max Meyer can. 
can operate, well, you know, how he's going to operate, what formation would suit him, if there's any formation that we play that suits him. Um, does Schlupp pick up the um, pick up the extra defensive duties that maybe you'd have to sacrifice if you had Max in a front in a free? He does for me. Um, just watching, just just yesterday, um, I just like the way the three operate. I, and I took a quick look on whoscored.com to see, you know, Max's position on the field. And he was basically central the entire match, basically behind Batshuayi. So I'm imagining, you know, having him there than having Wilf to one side and Andros. I think this really works. I really think it works really well because, again, uh, if... Max is that high and is, is supporting those two. And you've got those other two players wide. You've got a great opportunity now to, to create over more opportunities for either Batshuayi or Benteke. So I think that it could work. The, the unfortunate part is that Kiate misses out. And I like him a lot as a player. I thought he did really well yesterday. He came on. He made one lung-busting defensive run to, to cut off a play. And he is a tall, languid, but good on the ball and strong player. I feel bad for him to miss out. But I'm, gonna, I'm saying it now. I think that Max which Schlupp and Luca makes a very good front three as long as you can. You've got that solid back four behind you. And I think it's it's time that the that, that give that a chance in the Premier League. That's a really good point. And and you you just brought up Kuarte's run. I mean, my God, it was... Fantastic, I had no idea he was that quick. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, you know, if Dan is going to go um, and there isn't a place for him, defensive midfield then he can play defence as well so you know he's a versatile player and for 8 million an absolute bargain if we go back to uh, if we go back to Max Chris Phillips has asked well he said I was hoping to see more drive and passion from Max yesterday like a player who wants to play for 90 minutes I know he scored but it was Doncaster I was looking for more desire Um, you know I I think for just a answer the the point about it being Doncaster um I think we we took in we took them for granted a little bit some fans you know saying it was league one and that kind of thing they're on a terrific run and they are a very attacking creative fluid team it's just that we happen to play very well against those kind of teams it's when you do a Grimsby and have 10 men for 88 minutes and stick behind the ball is when we had a problem um but I I felt like I did see plenty of passing from from Mayer um and I was uh, pleasantly, pleasantly surprised that he, he created quite as much as he did. Um, I would have said that everyone had a, a fairly quiet second half, but in the first half, he was everywhere. And this is the first time I've really seen him, you know, play, play to his strengths without Zahar because they seem to link up excellently together. And I was a bit dubious about whether he'd be able to do that without Wilf playing. But I felt like he did personally. Yeah, you know, that's a bit of an unfair comment by that person but I don't want to really go into that but again I'm I'm a stats person so I'll throw some things out that kind of might disprove what that person just said Max had uh, 42 total passes uh, 83% passing success rate he had 59 touches 6 of 4 of those in your opposition's box he had 10 forward passes out of his 42 and he had he won 6 out of 8 duels so not only was he effective going forward he was very effective defensively people I've often said we've got this size while well, he's not good defensively, but we watch again. Everyone has an access to it. I have access to it. I can watch the game as many times as I want. I watched it again this morning. I thought he played really well overall. And again, to put down Doncaster as an opponent, I think it's a bit unfair because we all know how we're doing in the league. And again, that's a tricky, tricky thing to go to a you know, lower division side away from home and, and, and come up with a, again, professional job as a two-year win. But I thought Max really 
did well. I don't know what that person wanted. When he scored the goal, he was very happy. When he scored the goal, he went off his teammates. He was giving Andros a hug. So I don't know what people want to see from him. Maybe a couple of back tips and they'll be happy. Patrick, you, you, you said 59 passes, 59 touches for Max. Correct. How does that compare with other players? Because he was on for just over an hour. That's touching the ball once a minute. No, he played the whole match. Max, Max didn't yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. So it's less than once a minute. How, how involved is that compared to other players? Give me a second, I'll look it up. Cool, cool. Okay, we'll come back to that in a second. Um, I think the thing that got most people going was discussion about the forwards. Um, and if we take Richard Evans and Mark Drew, they both made pretty much the same point. Richard said, could we try having Benteke and Batman on the pitch at the same time? And Mark just said, must try them. Um, so how would people think about how what we've just discussed with having three midfielders would work with having them both on the pitch? And how do you think they performed? What do you reckon, Chris? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I don't think it works with that particular formation that we've just described. Um, But I do think it's worth a go. I don't think it's necessarily how you start a game. Um, It might be one where, you know, you, you start with one of them up top. And then depending if it's still nil-nil after an hour, that's where you bring the second player on and you know give it a good go. If it looks like it's worked after that, then maybe you roll it on. Um, but for me, I, I, I just think it, it, going 4-4-2 with, with those two strikers is quite a bold call. Um, you know, especially in at the moment, we're, we're three points above the relegation zone. Um, yes, that's... You know, we've got some winnable games coming up. You can't afford to be gambling and messing about with what is quite a well-established tactical plan now, especially now that we've got some variations in it. For me, you know, you stick with the system we've got, but if it's not working after an hour, then that's that's where you, you change it up and give it a go. So I've got the stats very quickly. Um, Luca had 96 touches. Schlupp had 60. Are you 48? Townsend 53 and Batshuayi 24. So I would say that he, he was very effective in what he did as far as touch is concerned based on that. No, well, cheers. Batshuayi 24 um, brings us on to, I think, a couple of tongue-in-cheek comments. Andy Sparrow, are we in danger of wasting a valuable asset like Batshuayi? Thought he looked a bit lost yesterday and offered a little, little more than Benteke. And Chris Chantry, very tongue-in-cheek. How long would it take our coaches to turn Ronaldo and Messi into Calvin Andrew and Alan Lee in regards <laughs> to Batshuayi missing a couple of chances in the last two games? So That's what, unfair. What is, uh, just, go, just go back to the formation before we discuss Batshuayi. Um, 
four four two with those two, I just can't ever see happening unless Zahar's out. Um, you know, you'd be relying on two in midfield, basically controlling it. So I guess you'd go Luca and one other, Andros on the right, Zahar on the left. He'd, he'd end up defending three quarters of the time. So I'm not sure that there'd be that much service to Batshuayi and Benteke in the first place. So I'm not sure that there's going to be any situation where Hodgson's going to go for that. You know, he's you know, he's a conservative man. He's going to stick, like Chris said, he's going to stick with what he knows. Um, I just can't see a situation where Wilf's going to be left of a four. That's very much an abandoned thing now. It hasn't happened in a long time. So, um, yeah, as much as it would be great to see them both on the pitch, I, I think you're right. This would be 60 minutes for one, 30 minutes for the other. Um, and now that Wickham's injured yet again, uh, that makes the choices a little bit easier for him as well. Uh, yeah, that's why 24 touches. How did people think he did yesterday? Um, I thought he was a bit um, sort of frozen out of the game for, for, for long periods, um, but it, it didn't seem like Palace missed him that much. Yeah, it wasn't the kind of match I would I would, I would think he'd ever would have had a lot of success in. Forget opposition for just a second. You know, 24 touches. He just wasn't involved in a game. I felt badly for him. I, as I watched the game, I felt badly for him. He just wasn't getting involved. He had He did have a header. First half that was blocked uh, slash saved. He had obviously that 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 chance up front when he made that really poor second touch that Goldie was able to catch up and he kind of poked it and saved it and almost when he went up for a corner. But I'm gonna go back to a, a comment I've made before about the way Hodgson plays and it's and it's just the fact that I just think all strikers will struggle in his system. And I've got again I hate to do this you know this whole stats thing, but I did a quick research on the strikers that played under Hodgson when he's in been in the Premier League. Andy Johnson scored seven goals for Fulham back in 2008-2009. Um, Peter Odenwungi scored 10 goals for him for West Brom 2011-12. And Bobby Zamora scored eight for him when he played for Fulham in his second season there. Again, and I would have done a little bit more research for us, you know, compare that to other strikers of similar teams, etc. But I, again, I just feel that strikers are going to struggle with the way that, you know, under where he plays. Now, we do create chances, which is great. We do have good wide players in Zaha and Townsend, and perhaps that this changes, but I'm not sure. And again, I would do, Mike, I don't think 4 4 would work at all under, well, I don't think I was going to play 4 4 unless we were training a game by two or three goals and chasing it. But I think the 4 3 3 is going to be difficult for a striker to, to really be successful if we just bombing crosses or we do really get better at set plays and maybe corner kicks and free kicks where they score a lot of goals from because the way that is set up to, to, for, to be, it just isn't set up for a striker to really thrive. It's more for midfielders and player, honestly, like a Jeffrey Schlupp to get a lot of goals. I think there's no need to apologise for only coming up with those three stats. You only need the one, really. AJ, seven goals. I mean, assume, assuming he's taking the penalties as well, you know, that is... Exactly, um, isn't it? Amazing, huh? That's that's damning, that is. Um, yeah, I mean, Benteke coming on didn't make a great deal of difference. Um, I think that, so that proves your point as well. Um, but I, I really don't think that it's a massive issue at the moment. I think we're doing fine. We're scoring goals without them. You know, they're, they're there. They hold up play. Let's not forget that's why he's one of his first touches when he came on the first game and set up that incredible, incredible goal. Um, I'm sure I'm sure his time will come. I'm not sure he's going to end up with incredible stats, but um, I think Palace fans will warm to him possibly more than they are to Benteke this season. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't worry too much, people. That's, you know, that's my positivity for, for, for this particular question. Um, 
one other thing people wanted to bring up generally is um, the amount of forward moves. And you said that there wasn't a great deal of um, <clears throat> fast-moving uh, counter-attacking play, which surprised me a little bit. I expected a lot more of it. Do you think there's any reason that that, that, that happened? Or was it just you know the, the players were kind of playing second and third gear by the time the second half came? Because you know you can look to the, the point that maybe Maya should be creating more of those chances for them. Um, you know, Batshuayi's got pace. Maybe um, a few a few more things should have come his way from from slightly further out. Um, it's it's tough to say though against Doncaster, isn't it? Uh, yeah, we we just kind of coasted, didn't we? Why why put in a lot of effort when you've got big games coming up? It's, you know, we're halfway through a tough old season, as Lucas said in his post match yesterday. The the Premier League is more important, so why go all out? hell for leather and possibly get injured or, you know, cause something to go bad for the rest of the season if that happens. So, yeah, it was comfortable and I think we could have stepped up a gear anyway, don't you? We weren't we weren't exactly going full throttle. Um, yeah, no, I, why, I totally why agree. if you don't have to? Yeah, I, I, I think we'd probably leave that there. I think that's, that's exactly what happened and I, I don't think we should read too much into it. Um, so let's move on to the last couple of questions. Um, Chris wanted to discuss whether after Roy saying that he thought the Premier League was the priority, um, is he right? And then Jacqueline and Hart said, uh, next rounds, this team's got us this far. Do you think they should be the team playing? Um, I think that's that's a, that's a very reasonable question. So um, let's address those two points, gents. Uh, Chris, what's your thoughts on those? Well, very simply, I mean, clearly the Premier League is very, very important to the long-term well-being of our club. But we're now not talking about a situation where we're talking about two-legged ties and game after game. We're talking about if we win our next game, then we're at Wembley. And if we win the game after that, we're in the final. And if we win the game after that, we've won the cup. So we're not at a stage for me where this is even a debate anymore. We play our full-strength team in any FA Cup game we've got left between now and the end of the season and we try and win the cup we also try and do as well as we can in the league it's just a false choice for me so even to imply that there's a choice to be made there no I don't think so um, and I, you know I, I kind of I was slightly annoyed that it was said but at the same time you know I mean I don't think it will truly make a difference I don't think it's time now to be worrying about um, who you play you play the best team you got whoever we're playing against yeah, we're not a top side, so we don't have the squad depth of a Man City's going for four trophies. But at this point, I'm with Chris. You've got to play your strongest side going forward. The Premier League is the Premier League. We're going to do our best obviously to stay up. That's, that's not even a question. But Chris nailed it. We are so close. My only thing is this, is who we join the next round. Because it throws up so many possibilities. If we draw Swansea, for instance, we've got to play our best side to get to the semi-final. We, we draw Millwall or Brighton. Anybody want to see us lose to those two sides, honestly, with a weakened side? Or, I, can, it, can I just jump in there and, and point out that we have timed this podcast recording terribly so that pretty much not, not that long after we finish the pod, then they'll decide who the draw is. So assuming that anyone listening to this is going to already know who we're playing. So apologies for that. That's purely down to our terrible timing. Good point. So, so, so continue my point. I mean, so to me, you've got to go with your strongest side. Now, again, I heard in the post-match, he's, uh, the manager mentioned playing Hennessy in the next round. I'm not for that at all. Does he remember that he played Sproni in, in the first two rounds? He's got big weight and everybody else in, for, for it. Because again, 
yeah, our, our history is not great against the main cities and the main eyes of the world as far as in the cups, but we're so close. We have to have to go for this. And again, I'm not I'm not having a, a weakened side going out in the, in the next round because we're trying to rest up for whoever we play in the next match after that. No, we've got to go for this. As fans, we want to actually bloody win something for once. I'm sure we're all we're all we're all agreed on that. However, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, thank Zenith you, Cup, mate. Don't yeah. Cup, my friend. You like to brag about? Yeah, yeah. When Jeff went up to collect that, <laughs> I was there. Um, but the the cost of the money you lose for being in the Premier League is phenomenal. I think you get more for coming bottom of the Premier League than you do for winning the FA Cup. So, yes, as fans, we do want that trophy in our trophy cabinet. And you'd hope it's something that the players would want. Um, but it's for Palace as a business, the Premier League has to trump the Cup. That's not to say I don't think we shouldn't try and play our strongest team. I, I predict Man City away, by the no. way. Joy, oh, no. great. Well, let, let's let's hope that we're already celebrating having not um, got them in the next round by the time people listen to this on their commute. Um, and I just want to clarify that uh, our comrade Chris there uh, meant that he was annoyed about the comment from Roy, not about from you, Jacqueline, because that was a very good question. Um, yes, absolutely. And I would like to thank everyone for getting in touch. Um, it's got to the point now where we, we can't read everyone out but we do uh, read them all and we think about them as we create our show plan. So it's really appreciated and any interaction is uh, something welcome. So keep on with sending them over in future. Okay, so let's wrap it up there. Um, hoping that tomorrow morning you're smiling because we've drawn Millwall away. I know Patrick doesn't want that, but I certainly certainly do. Um, it's been a while since I've had Millwall away. Um that would be absolutely lovely, but otherwise just not one of the Manchester teams would be great. It looks like Manchester United might be going through at this point. Um, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, you've got the preview pods coming this Thursday. You've got Love Sport tomorrow. Nick, do you know who's on? Me and dear. I've, I've been avoiding Chris. I'm only going on anything when Chris isn't there. Have you noticed? <laughs> uh, okay. Well, um, I'm, I'm joining Chris on a long car ride to uh, Leicester at the weekend, which will be a joy in his lovely car. Um, so that will be good. So we will be coming back to you with the review show for that um, on Sunday as well. Um, but in the meantime, thanks a lot for listening and peace. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.